Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. So hey guys, Connor here. Welcome back uh, to Earned. This is episode number six, I believe. And we have the amazing Divya Gugdani on the on the podcast with us today. Thanks so much for joining. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, of course. I think, uh, you know, we were just chatting before. It's funny working through all of these technical difficulties and, you know, uh, or not technical difficulties, but through these challenges in this new environment. It's uh, it's it's interesting, but we make it work. And I think I'm going to get more podcasts done than I've ever gotten done before. It's 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 great. That's good. So you're being productive. That's good. Absolutely. Although you are kind of the queen of productivity. I've been looking in your background and every time I watch a video, there's like some new thing that I learn. It's like uh, culinary institute, uh, this, uh, that. <laughs> and uh, just I love it listed out. So I have them all written down or some of the, the ones that I could find online. So obviously you founded Wander Beauty. Uh, but you also did Cornell as an undergrad and then did your MBA at Harvard. In between, did a short stint at Goldman Sachs in the late 90s. And then you wrote a book and have founded four companies, uh, which is unbelievable. Uh, I went to culinary school. <laughs> and went to because culinary that was, school. That was my toughest degree. Can you tell I like school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I see. I was kind of after the first four years, I was ready to go. I've, I've considered going back. I considered going back and getting my MBA, but... Um, you know, especially with tribe going as, as well as it, as it is, I just kind of have to stay focused. I think right now you can always do an exec MBA. And I have to tell you, I'm holding out for the PhD. You know, my parents always wanted a doctor. They didn't get one, but I feel like later on in my life, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get my PhD and then they can feel like I'm a doctor and be proud of Southeast Asian parents. I mean that you are technically a doctor if you go out and get your PhD. So <laughs> there's no debate. Like it is what it is. Um, they never totally. said MD. It doesn't have to be an MD. Exactly. They just said doctor. I like that they're still not there yet, right? They're still not. You haven't <laughs> quite <not>. reached <laughs> the pinnacle yet. I have yet. to tell you, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a doctor. I have not reached Hall of Fame success in their in their eyes yet. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's a tough... It's a tough threshold. My parents do not have the same threshold for me. They're always just rooting in the background. I'm like, is this good? They're like, you're fine. So nice. Yeah. I got to tell you, having grown up that way, I'm now a parent, as um, are you. And so it's really interesting to understand and think about the way you were raised and think about how consciously you want to take pieces of what worked for you in your childhood and also take the pieces that didn't work and rewrite the book. Yeah, it's a really, I think I felt like I would be more mature by the time that I had two children and it just hasn't kicked in yet. Um, and it's amazing, like you said, the amount of reflection that you do and how much it humanizes your parents um, when you were growing up, right? To think yep. about them being in your and own also, shoes. Nothing grosses you out after you have two kids. Like after <laughs> they've officially pooped, like barfed, like boogers. Like, I mean, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm getting so gross with you. But like, once you go through that, you're like, officially nothing grosses me out after being a mother of two young kids. I didn't I'm realize, a human napkin in case you didn't know, but I, I <laughs> so totally, I've been through it. I totally underestimated just the pure volume of poop that I would be dealing with. <laughs> like, it's just oh my God. so much. Like, it's it, so much. Nobody talks about that when they talk about parenthood. Um, See, you heard it here first. One of the hidden gems the of being a parent. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into it. You know, I think the kind of the purpose of these podcasts, and I'm, you know, you've listened to some of them already, is for people that are looking up to you, right, that want to get into your position, getting a little bit more about your background, how you got here, what were some of the things that you had to work through that they can learn from. Um, as well as to learn a little bit about your marketing approach. So obviously, Wander's done really well, both in the data that we've tracked as well as just as a business. So congratulations there. Um, Thank you. So, so much more to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know if I've told you these stats yet, but $44 million in EMV last year, up 79% year over year. That's pretty good. Uh, that's some good stuff, especially when I think 2019 was a challenging year for a lot of brands in the makeup space. So good on you for having a great year, despite the despite the headwinds. 
Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, let's talk really quickly. Just give the audience, obviously I gave you some, some of the hit list in terms of your background, but could you give the audience just you know, what, uh, a little bit more meat there, right? Like how did you talk through that process a little bit? So I was born in Springfield, Illinois. My dad worked mm -hmm. for the government, which is why I lived in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, and then moved to New York uh, when my dad actually became an entrepreneur himself. And I swore my whole life growing up, I would never be an entrepreneur. I just saw the ups and downs of things were great. Things were terrible. It was just, you know, we went through ups and downs. And so I was convinced my whole life. Went to Cornell, as you mentioned, undergrad. See, I always, I didn't mean to interrupt, but entrepreneur yeah. for me, like my parents were kind of the opposite, right? They, they did, my mom was, uh, she got her master's in psychology and then was uh, got high up within the probation department. And then my dad was an electromagnetic engineer. So he built stealth technology for like the B2 bomber and that kind of stuff. And for them, you know, they were at the same company for like 30 plus years. So for me, an entrepreneur was like, oh, like you don't have like a real job, right? So I had the same opinion. I was like, I'm never going to be an entrepreneur because I want to have a real job like my parents had. Um, so it's interesting getting there from two different directions, right? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, my dad also, two engineering degrees, mechanical and industrial. He can't set an alarm clock, so I'm not really sure what he learned in school. Um, love him to death, but, you know, very, very bright on the math science side, but like on the home practical side, you know, like I'm tech support for my parents, my in-laws, my husband, my kids, I'm officially <laughs> tech support. Um, so I should have got an honorary engineering degree. So I studied government economics. I thought I would be a lawyer and like have a career and have two kids and have a live in the suburbs and have a white picket fence. And like, none of that happened. Like it just, my life has been a series of defining moments that has just taken me in different directions. And I've kind of, I'm the kind of person who's just kind of rolled with it. So I am an accidental entrepreneur. I started my career in finance working in Goldman Sachs, as you mentioned. I was an investment banking analyst. I slept under my desk. I wore it as a badge of honor. I worked all the time. And back then that was like something to be proud of. You're just like, I have yep. no life balance. All I do is work. I'm on a million deals. I'm traveling. I'm working with CEOs. So I actually really loved the experience because I was a sponge. I sat in the room with all these big business leaders, managing directors at Goldman Sachs, and I learned a lot. So for me, those early years in my career were very formative and what I would do many years later, I just didn't know it at the time. I think as you pick your first job out of college, people are just kind of do what's easy or what they kind of like at the moment. And for me, it was actually very hard to get a job in investment banking at Goldman Sachs. They actually did not recruit at Cornell, um, mm. but I was determined and grit and perseverance are two things that are the hallmarks of kind of who I am. And so I was determined to get that job. I got that job. I then went into private equity. I went into venture capital. So I became an investor and I looked at businesses. I worked with them. I learned a lot about the inner workings of building, scaling, and growing businesses, and mm -hmm. also all the pitfalls and all the things that go wrong and all the problems and companies going bankrupt and selling. So the highs and the lows. And it was really an accident that made me an entrepreneur. I was actually dating someone and ended up starting a company with him. Um, fast forward, we're not dating. <laughs> you know, I'm married with two kids and he's married with two kids. But, you know, it was just this moment in my life where I took a bet, but I was the kind of person who was afraid to be an entrepreneur. So I didn't want to do it. And I put my toe in the water and I had a full-time job and I was moonlighting as an entrepreneur. And this company became incredibly successful and we ended up selling the company and everyone should have this incredible ride where everything just goes up and to the right and it works out. And so that entrepreneurial experience really led me to then co-found three more companies and take those bets all over again. So my company prior to Wander, I actually built, raised venture funding for and sold to QVC. And so I experienced idea to big multi-billion dollar company sale. Um, so that was a wild ride. And now I'm building Wander and spending all my time doing this. So it's been really, really, really fun. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the journey. I'd be out of those, you know, those different companies. Were there any that did hit like not straight up and to the right, right? Like even with the venture, hundred percent. Yeah, and those actually—that's where you learn the most. So mm -hmm. if I were to look back at my career, and I, I laugh about this, but from you know going to school, three different degrees, like I learned the most in culinary school, and people are going to just huh. think that's crazy, but just 
When I went to culinary school, I learned teamwork to a different degree, because if you didn't know how to operate as a team, you were going to get your finger cut off, you're going to get your hand burned, you're going to end up having a serious accident. And so that camaraderie and interdependence and teamwork that I learned in culinary school has always been ingrained in my mind of how I build and grow and think about our teams. Um, but I also feel like in my entrepreneurial journey, my second company was in the culinary space and it was too early for its time. It was dependent on advertorial revenue. The phone would ring one month and we'd get a six-figure check and then the phone wouldn't ring for three weeks. And so it was up and down. It was profitable, but it didn't scale. And I learned a lot from it. I learned that when you start a business, you need to think about scalability upfront. You need to think about scaling product versus scaling manpower, which I think can be very challenging. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just mm -hmm. saying I'm not good at it. Yep. And I learned a lot about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And being self-aware as an entrepreneur is probably one of the most important things when you go into starting a business, you need to make a checklist. You need to say, these are the five things that I feel like I'm strong at. And here are five things that I'm completely weak at, not good at. And I need to bring the right people early on into the organization to build those areas for me and really make the pie bigger and grow the opportunity. Totally. What were those things for Lindsay that kind of you identified as saying like, yeah. these are the areas where I'm weak that maybe Lindsay can help me out. And Lindsay's totally. your, your co-founder, obviously, for, she, for Wander. And, and it's really fabulous. So Lindsay's about to have a baby soon. And it's a really funny story. So I met Lindsay at a party. Mm -hmm. So I had just had a baby. I was second kid, two kids within two years, which I don't recommend. We did and the same thing. I, we have two. Oh we just had one March 5th. So just right? right at the beginning of the coronavirus crisis. And so, oh, and the other one's 19 months, but congratulations. It's actually been great for us. Cause you know, we're living with family. I was telling you right. before, but we've got you built know, in babysitters. Yeah. Two babies, two dogs and nine adults in here. And so in the <laughs> compound. And so there's actually a lot of babysitters available. So it's, uh, it's worked so out well for lucky. us. Yeah. I was not so lucky. My parents um, live abroad most of the year and they're yeah. only here in the summer. And so I, had two children within two years and it was just this moment where I got out of the house, I met Lindsay at a party and I was itching. When I sold my company to QVC, I learned a lot. Don't, I'm not underestimating how much you can learn at a big corporation. I had a senior leadership role. I worked for the CEO of QVC when I first joined and that was amazing, right? $9 billion organization, small leadership team, a lot of experience around the table that I could grow from. and. I was just itching to start another business. Like you just have to know you, right? You will yeah, be totally. the most successful at what you are passionate and excited about. I love being an entrepreneur. I love starting businesses. I love finding the white space. I love thinking about new opportunities and new ways to do things. I'm an unconventional out of the box thinker. I always have been. I was the same way when I was a kid. If there was a way to do something, I wanted to do it a different way. And so <laughs> that's just, you know, that's who I am and what I am. And you have to be true to yourself, right? So I'm sitting in this amazing job with a great title. And, you know, obviously for the first time in my life, I have great health care. First time in a long time because I had been an entrepreneur multiple times. And it was just like, my husband's like, just chill a minute. Like, just like enjoy yeah. this moment. You have kids, like take maternity leave. Like, I just don't know how to do that. That's not who I am. And so I sat in my house and all I could think about was I want to start another business. And I'm itching to start something in the beauty space. And I don't know what it is. And I meet Lindsay at a party and I was like, Hey, I'm really thinking about starting a beauty company. And like, would you come over and like, let's chat. I'm nursing. So I can't really leave the house. And she's like, wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> While you're so, nursing. <laughs> yeah, it was hysterical. It, I, stranger. I never met, I've never met her once before in my life. I'm like, I can't leave the house. I'm nur I just had a newborn baby. I was like, I'm going nowhere. And so I was like, I'm, I'm on maternity leave. Like, can you just come? And so she was so understanding and nice. And she came over and I told her, I was like, Hey, listen, I haven't figured out what I want to do in the beauty space, but here are my pain points. I'm a mom of two young kids. I have tons of beauty products. I don't know what to do with them. I used to like in college do everyone's smoky eye for sorority formal. And I love skincare. And I just had this idea that the t modern woman is time starved, busy, and generally on the go when she's not in quarantine. And she's spending 15 minutes on her beauty routine. And there's no brand that's giving her 
fuss-free, foolproof, clean beauty essentials. I had been through, you know, I have autoimmune disease. I'd been through two high-risk pregnancies. I'd been through this huge discovery process that the average woman's ingesting five pounds of toxic chemicals into her system via her skin, which is her largest organ. And I don't want this to happen. And so she had been at the forefront of like organic and natural, and that's not where we ended up going, but we had a lot of conversations about it. And the two of us sat together and we said, we're creating this brand, Wander Beauty, and it's going to be fewer, better beauty essentials. Fewer because we would create multitaskers, things that are, you know, double-sided components, multi-used formulas, things that you can really be gorgeous on the go with. And so fewer is multitasking, better is all clean beauty. And beauty essentials, we're not gonna be a color cosmetics brand. We're not gonna be a skin brand. We're not gonna be a nail brand or hair brand. We're gonna give you all of the essentials that the modern woman uses every day across color, skin, hair, body. We're gonna give it to her all and we're gonna give it to her an experience where she can go on her iPhone and use Apple Pay and check out in a minute and 30 seconds. And we're gonna innovate in the formula, the ingredients, the packaging, the delivery system, and the shopping experience 360 to really solve a pain point for this woman. This woman is time starved, she's on the go, she wants clean beauty essentials, she reaches for every day and she wants to go to one place to buy them. And that was our vision five years ago and now it'll be soon five years. Yeah. Um, and we just we just hammered on it. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I can tell. I like the integrated product shots. You can, uh, <laughs> I can tell the QVC background. You learned a few lessons from those execs over there. <laughs> um, oh, it's all about touching and feeling and getting the experience. <laughs> totally. How have you guys, I mean, you mentioned kind of the on the go thing and, you know, obviously people aren't on the go right now. How are you yeah. guys thinking about that from a messaging perspective, right? Because obviously, so I, you know, if yeah, that's the primary super, message. Yeah, it's so important to understand how we're living our lives. We created our brand in service of our customer. Yep. When Lindsay and I looked at what was happening in the beauty space and we saw so much perfection and perfect eyebrows and perfect skin and perfect hair, and we just didn't identify with that in so many ways. Um, we said that we were always going to use real women. And we always said that we were going to test every formula on real women. We were going to have a community of what we called Wander Beauties to test and try every single formula. This is a grassroots community driven business. We never raised a lot of money up front. There were never any billboards for Wander Beauty. We were never pushing people into marketing to buy things from us. It was community driven from day one. And so we always let the community be our North star and tell us how we should interact with them, what we should do with them and what we should create for them. And so similarly, when we were entering this crisis, we went, reached out to our community and we said, we're here for you. We're not here to sell you stuff. We postponed launches. We said, we're all in this together. Let's stay in place. Let's stop the spread. Let's focus on that first. And what do you want to see from us? And it became this two-way dialogue around doing streaming vid videos on IG Live with Obey Fitness and doing nutritional advice and really creating value for our community then when they needed us at that moment. And in that context, having them shape the dialogue of what we were saying. We've always said that we put our multitaskers in the hands of our community. We listen to them. We take all of their individual stories and we weave them together to be the narrative of our brand. And that's really what we are as a brand. Wander Beauty is so community driven. You see that. And if you look at the hashtag mentions of Wander Beauty, I think it's like over 55,000 hashtag mentions because it's so community driven. People say what they want. And so many people told us, hey, listen, like self-care is what we're doing now. And so we really started talking more about self-care, started talking more about, you know, fast lane instant facial. You're not going out and getting a facial, but you want to do it in 10 minutes at home and you want to exfoliate your skin. You want to have a midday refresh and use Miss Connection. So everything became about what was relevant from our assortment and what was speaking to our community. And that became the dialogue. And the result, because I know you're results driven, is that we saw a 40% increase um, in our skincare and self-care essentials um, mm. during this time period. And yeah. so because we were leaning into what our community wanted to talk about and what they wanted from us, we saw the results in terms of what they were going to buy from us. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think trying to find pockets of opportunity that exist um, when people's habits are changing uh, due to external factors um, is critical. 
I mean, I know that you for... need to be you need to be relevant and you also need to be realistic about what people want. Like we actually had slated a full coverage foundation for this time. And we're like, no one's wearing full coverage foundation. Not the right time. You know, sitting and stay, staying at home and doing Zoom meetings. And so we said, this is not the right time to be doing this. It doesn't make any sense. And whatever the financial impact of that was, we were willing to eat it because always have to be um, listen with two ears and speak with one mouth. And so the listening and the speaking has to be in that proportion. And our listening brought us to change our dialogue around what was going to be right and to really suit ourselves to the environment. And I think that is key. And I think brands that are just going out there with a regular plan are just being tone deaf. And that's not what you want to see from a brand right yeah, now. Of course. Especially. Of course. Have you guys had to make, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, cash isn't unlimited. Have you guys had to make other, you know, what kind of other operating changes have you guys had to make as a business? So we've definitely made some operating changes. I think that we, the first thing that happened when we went into the COVID crisis is obviously caring about our um, customers, but first and foremost, caring about our team. Yep. So the health, safety, and financial security of our team is the most important thing to me as a CEO. And that's just how I think. And maybe I don't think the same way a lot of people think. And I would get on all these CEO calls and there's so many forums going on in the beauty space. And I'm so lucky to be a part of those groups and have that community to lean on. But the first thing I was hearing on every phone call was we're laying off people, we're furloughing people, we're doing this. And I just don't subscribe to that. I, I know that some people need to do that to adjust their business model. Our business model from day one was community first. And we always created a direct conversation with our community. So people have always been shopping Wander Beauty on wanderbeauty.com since the inception of the brand. I didn't wake up during the COVID crisis and decided I need to have a D2C business. Yeah. And I know a lot of brands are waking up in this thing and saying, hey, stores are closed. Now I need to focus on D2C. Like that was never my thing. We were always focusing on D2C. And so our brand and our business and our technology and our infrastructure is suited to serve our customer first and be digital first. Yes, we're in Sephora stores and Nordstrom stores and other locations, and we have a blessing to be omni-channel and we are for sure suffering through some of the store closures. But the reality is we were always community first. We were always direct to consumer first. And hence, we haven't made any layoffs, any pay cuts, any Very adjustments cool. to our team. I personally have taken a little bit of the brunt because I felt like that was the right thing to do as a leader. I feel like leadership needs to set the example and also um, share in the pain first. So that's just a personal thing of how I run and operate a business. But yes, we are definitely feeling a financial impact. We have definitely cut costs where we could. Yep. Um, and and we've prioritized the financial security of our team and we're paying everyone in full. And I'm very happy and excited about that. I'm happy I can say that because I'm happy we were able to do it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you guys are, you know, being in that position in terms of being a direct consumer business um, and being nimble when it comes to product releases um, yeah. is not a position that everybody else is in. Right. So the fact that you guys can do Absolutely. that is really cool and that you prioritize that, I think, is also really cool. Um, yeah. Are there are there any other entrepreneurs that you really look up to? So obviously, I think this you know during this time you're seeing a lot of true colors right now. Um, is yeah. there any anybody that you really get excited about? I have a lot of friends that are entrepreneurs, and yeah. I've been doing this obviously for a while. So I would say I have a close group of friends that are all entrepreneurs, and we share in a lot of our pain and things. But I would say the people I look up to most are my mentors. I have a couple of different mentors who, some are entrepreneurs, some are who are not, and I really lean on them. And when times are tough like this, you see people's true colors in the tough times. So anyone can be a good CEO in a boom, right? Because business is going great and the team outings are lavish and life is good. Yep. Um, but it's in times of crisis that you really see people's true character. And you see what sacrifices they're willing to make as a leader and what sacrifices they're not willing to make and what how they prioritize the health and well-being of their team. And so I have learned a lot from people around me, both men and women. It's not that I just have female um, mentors, but I have a lot of male, male ones too. And when I'm making the tough decisions, I really reach out to people who are seasoned, who have done things at a much greater scale than I have. And I, I lean into them for advice. Yeah, that's good. It's good to have that kind of network. We have similar a similar network, obviously, and I think it yes, it, of course, it grows organically. You know, it's a mix of uh, people who've been there before, and then other people that are kind of coming up at the same time that can empathize. 
Um, I yes. noticed, so I didn't, I didn't tell you who it was, but I did notice that we had an actual common investor in, uh, in DGNL. So, uh, Oh yes, yeah, Amir yeah, and Desiree. Yeah. Amir and Desiree. Did you, so for, for those that don't know, uh, Nir is an investor also, I believe got a Harvard MBA. He went to um, school with me. It was yeah. my class. Oh, there you go. Okay. So you and uh, <laughs> we Jen know Wong each other. too. Did you? Uh, yes, and right? Jen Wong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so get this, Connor. I know Nir since he graduated college. When he graduated University of Texas, Austin, right, is where he went. I guess. I, I don't graduated remember. Cornell. Yep. Um, we both started our very first job together at Goldman Sachs. So we have known each other for over 20 years. Wow. Um, and it has been, See, I had assumed is, the connection was Desiree to Lindsay because of Victoria's no. Secret. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. The connection is Nir and I have been friends for over 20 years. And this is a perfect example for people to think about when they're thinking about starting a business and investors. So Nir and I had built this 20-year relationship. We've always been friends. We've stayed in touch. We've helped each other. We've introduced each other to people. And we'd never worked together other than, you know, obviously working together at Goldman 20 years ago and going to business school together. And so I had started one company, two company, three companies. And when I was thinking about starting company number four, he said like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm kind of thinking on it. I just had a baby and I want to spend some time really honing in on the concept. And I, I spent with Lindsay a year working on the business before we launched it. We really wanted to do a lot of research. We surveyed a lot of women, different ages, ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds. We spent a lot of time. For me to take the bite to do this the fourth time, I had to feel really sure that I was confident that I felt like it was going to be something worth investing all my time and energy in. Yeah. And so we spent a lot of time doing groundwork. And so when I was, I talked to him when I was doing groundwork, you know, he worked at L'Oreal. Yeah, um, and so I, I wanted to so, his yeah. perspective and I wanted to, I just was like talking to him about the idea. He's like, Tibia, he's like, if you launch this business and you don't let me invest, like I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to eat you alive. <laughs> and so, so I was like, I just, I kept it in my mind and listen, I didn't take his money for two years after that. Um, but it always kept it in my mind and you never know. It's like always important to build relationships, to help others, to do for others and also have others help you. And when that mutual relationship just develops organically over years, when then when the time is right, then it just kind of crystallizes and falls in place. And so I always tell people who are raising money, it's it's not about going out at that very moment and raising money. It's actually about building long-term relationships when you're not raising money and seeing organically how you work with people. Because taking an investor is like a marriage without divorce. Um, <laughs> because until you sell the company, yeah. you're not you're you're in it with them. And mm -hmm. so you need to be very sure that you're gonna be happy about that. And I feel strongly that you should try before you buy and kind of try to see what that relationship is like before you actually take their money. I think one of the things I've really latched on to is long-term thinking as a strategic advantage, which is, you know, most people think in very short time periods, just like, how mm -hmm. is this going to benefit me in the next three months, in the next year, in the next two years? And instead thinking about like, okay, if I forge this relationship over 20 years, um, how much stronger is that relationship going to be? Um, and thinking about from a career perspective, you know, you have 40 years, 50 years of work from the time that you graduate college or the time that you leave high school to when you, you know, eventually retire, um, if you're lucky, right? And so what totally can you true. do? What can you do in 50 years? Not what can you do in one year or five months or five years? And if you think about like the, I think Bill Gates was quoted as saying, you know, people always overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. And so, That's genius. right. And so we, you know, it's something that I think a lot about. Uh, and I think that yeah. building your network from day one, even in college, making friends from different majors, different areas. Like I still talk to my college friends. You were talking to me about mentors and people I talked to. Gwen, who started The Laundress, which was sold to Unilever, was a classmate of mine in college. And we were friends in college. And it's like we lost touch with each other for so many years. And then we reconnected um, right when she was selling her company to Unilever. And we, be, you know, kind of bonded over the experience. I'd sold my comp last company to QVC. And we've been friends and colleagues and kind of mentors um, since. And now she, I'm on the board of the Dean's Council at Cornell. Now she's on the board too. And so it's so amazing to see relationships that you've had for so many years ago develop and take turns and how much you can do for each other. So I always say like, you know, network to get work. 
<laughs> really think of, like think it. about it that way. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's really it's a very simple thing, and it's it's not about being a user, and it's not about having an ask. But I really feel like always open doors and do for others, and I think that they will do for you. But you have to come at it that it's not always going to be even, and in friendship, nothing is even, but it all kind of works out. And so when you reach out to people, have a very strong ask about what you want. Like if I'm going to reach out to Nir and I'm going to say, hey, Nir, like I need you to help me with this. It's not an open-ended question. It's a, I've thought about this. I would love your specific feedback on X, Y, and Z or help me with this door or this introduction because then they can actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. I always think about how do, when people reach out to me on LinkedIn all the time, I get emails and it's like, hey, I would love to pick your brain. Like, don't want to have my brain picked. Like, <laughs> I really, like, you know, I would love to help you, but you've got to tell me what you want help Let's with. Let's be really specific so, here. Like, so just that I can me, actually exactly, help. Just be like, Divya, I would love to talk to you about the beauty industry for 10 minutes, or I would love to spend 15 minutes about like how to build a team. Like, give me something I can latch on to that I can be helpful with, and I'm I'm ready to do it. I love to do, I love to give, I love to help, and I and so many people have helped me, so I want to pay it forward. But I think it's super important for people to have a specific ask. Totally. When you think about kind of responsibilities, um, talking about like if somebody were to ask you for advice on something, right? How do you guys, how do you and you and Lindsay split up the duties? Like what areas do you focus on? What areas does she focus on? Um, in the last episode that we just had, we had um, Christine and Sarah from Glow Recipe. And what's interesting about them is they grew up with, or they in their careers grew up with basically the exact same skill set. And they're now right. co-CEOs, which sounds really hard for me to manage, given right. you're, you have you know the exact same responsibilities. Um, do you guys do it that way? Or do you have like a more clear no, division? No, listen, I've had companies I've invested in, one of which sold, where they were co-CEOs. And the first bit of advice I gave them when I first went in there was for them not to be co-CEOs. Mm -hmm. And they ended up not being co-CEOs a year into the business. So yep. I feel very strongly that founders and co-founders should have complementary backgrounds, that they should both distinctly add value to the company in a unique way where they're bringing expertise that the other doesn't have. And that makes the pie bigger. And so I really believe that if you're going to have a co-founder, that both of you should have complementary skill sets, not duplicative skill sets. When you have duplicative skill sets, you question each other and your roles and lines get very messy. With Lindsay and I, we have a very clear understanding and that's what's made such an incredible, successful five plus year partnership because and we talk every day, which I think is like fascinating, fast forward six years uh -huh. um, and five years of running a business. It's because I run the operational side of the business and she runs the creative side of the business. And those really speak to our skill sets as entrepreneurs. And so she does the photography and she manages the creative team and she handles a lot of the packaging and the visual decisions. And I implicitly trust her to make those decisions because I genuinely believe she will make a better decision than I will. And having that complete trust and that complete understanding is what makes partnerships successful. And it also makes it very clear for the team around you that they're not a, a product of divorced parents. And so I think that co-founders a lot of times have this situation where one wants to do one thing, one another one wants to do another, and it becomes a hot disaster very quickly. I think that when you bring into a business, the construct of having two co-founders, they need to have clear, distinct responsibilities that are separate. And the team needs to understand what those are and it needs to be communicated upfront and always reinforced. And then further, there needs to be implicit trust. So if she makes a decision, like I go with that decision, I'm not involved in that decision. She has reigned to make those decisions and I respect and understand and trust them. And she's the same way with me. She's yep. not questioning me on how we're spending money. And so she has complete and understanding and implicit trust for how I'm going to operate the business. And I really genuinely believe having invested in over 60 plus companies in my career, I have seen this formula for co-founders work the best. And I have also been a co-founder before so and seen it work and not work. So um, that's kind of my two cents and advice from my own personal journey. Totally. Yeah, we um, I would imagine you've read The uh, Founder's Dilemma. Have you heard of that one mm -hmm. before? Right. And it just talks about both pre-existing relationships with the founders. Were they friends? Were they family? Were they coworkers? Did they not know each other prior to? Um, being family is the worst in terms of predicting success. There's a variety yeah. of things in there. And it seems like, uh, you know, a lot of what you're saying aligns with what they say. Right. 
Which and I've sense. lived it. Listen, this yeah. is not out of a book. This is me <laughs> my career. Yeah, totally. and having And having done it before and also having backed so many other entrepreneurs and seen companies, you know, go to epic heights and, you know, have a lot of struggles and pitfalls along the way and have co-CEOs and not co-CEOs and founders that have duplicative skill sets and question each other's judgment. And it just becomes very complicated very quickly, especially when you layer in investors. And then you get that added layer when they're both talking to the investors, they get pitted against each other. And how many companies can I point to you right now who had co-founders and one of the co-founders is not there anymore? Mm -hmm. Because I can think of five companies off the top of my head where they started out as two co-founders and three years in, they're not two co-founders anymore. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, my co-founder and I, John, you know, we've been working together now for a little over seven years and then knew each other for about three years before that. So I think we've hit that point where they say once you've worked with somebody for seven years, you're very likely to work with them for the rest of your career. And so yes. we're kind of at that point. It's very like husband and wife at this stage. Um, you know, we ran into kind of a different issue, which I've talked about in some of the other podcast episodes, but where, you know, I was on the road so much for speaking engagements and client meetings and and those kinds of things that, um, you know, my direct reports would have a really hard time getting a hold of me, right, for key issues. And I also would have a hard time keeping up to date on the internal operations of the business because, you know, I'm just not there, right? I'm not there 50% of the time. And so, you know, we actually made a switch where I took my role entirely, entirely externally focused um, and so instead of being kind of 50% in and 50% out, I'm hundred percent in on the external side in terms of meeting with clients, meeting with partners, doing the speaking engagements, the podcasts, all that kind of stuff. And then my co-founder took the entire internal side, right? Um, which it, is great. Yeah. Which is, makes it so clear and easy for the team to understand. And that's so important. Building a great business is only ever built by having a great team. No founder totally. can do it themselves. No group of co-founders are smarter or better than a group. Diverse thoughts, diverse perspectives, and diverse teams outperform everyone and anything else. I really believe in it. You need to invest in it up front. I really, I genuinely believe it. And I don't think that no entrepreneur can create a great business on their own. And so the fact that you, you will be able to recruit and retain better talent when things are very clear for them, the roles, the expectations, the reporting is all clear, that makes success from the beginning. Of course. And we, you know, we learned all these lessons the hard way. Um, so it was something that, you know, just like you have, right, where you come in, you observe, and, you know, you learn both from what works and what doesn't work, often more from what doesn't work. Uh, you hope that it doesn't scar you too much, right? Uh, so, but listen, you have to make the mistakes to learn from it. You you grow through what you go through. I like it. You've got some good phrases over there. What was the network one? It makes it easy to remember. Network to get work. Someone literally. So, story. Someone said that on a panel with me, and I looked at her, and I was like, "That's genius!" Like, I'm totally borrowing that from you. And she's like, "It's yours." I'm like, "Great." <laughs> my so one of my favorite panel one or one of my favorite panel quotes was I was on a panel with Anastasia of Anastasia Beverly Hills and um you know somebody asked that her like you know how did you how did you get here right and how did you like I can't remember it was either how you got there or how you financed the business and she's like I have done so many goddamn eyebrows in my life you cannot even imagine like she has done this one eyebrow, one celebrity eyebrow at a time has built this business. No joke. And uh, yeah, it's- Blood, sweat and tears, grit and perseverance. You can't do it any other way. And for anyone else who did it fast and easy, good luck to them. It wasn't fast and easy for me. So yeah, it's every business, <laughs> every, it, you lay every brick. Yeah, there's it, a- it just, And you feel it. There's a company in the software space called Basecamp that- mm -hmm. you know, I know it well, we use it at work. Yeah, so do we, right? Great company. And, you know, they obviously, they have some pretty outspoken views on the venture capital community and on kind of the way that you work, right? They're very, you know, pro 35 hour work week kind of thing, which I think is good, right? I think it's a good counterbalance in messaging to what, what is, uh, you know, kind of the, the hustle porn as they call it. Right. But at the same yeah. time, you know, 
the the counterpoint I heard there is like, you know, it's really easy when you like strike oil and you're just sitting on top of gushing oil to say, ah, you guys are all working too hard. Like, why are you working so hard to be successful? Like, I don't, you know, that's just not how you should do it. Like, look what we did. We found oil really quickly and it didn't take us hardly any work, right? So it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> we didn't have the same luxury either. <laughs> so I don't understand it. I mean, listen, I appreciate it though. Like it took a lot of work. There were a lot of mistakes made very humbling, very difficult, very challenging, good decisions, bad decisions. You, what did I say? You, you grow through what you go through. And so I've grown through it. I've learned through it. And if there's anything I can ever do for other entrepreneurs, I always say, listen, I'm going to tell you every mistake I made. It's going to make me sound like a total idiot. But the reality is that it's going to help you do it better, faster, or cheaper. Of course. The problem is sometimes you get told that as an entrepreneur and it doesn't stick until you make the mistake yourself. That's always a fun one. And sometimes you have to do it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So you talked a lot about, you know, this community-based focus, right? And community-based, I would imagine, marketing efforts. Um, And that, you know, I think that aligns with what we've heard from a lot of other people in terms of the way that they approach the social media space and the influencer marketing space. You know, talk me through, how do you guys think about that space? Like, how do you, do you approach these creators and individuals that are, you know, really operate a lot like publishers? Um, what's, what's your approach there? I believe that influencers have an incredible amount of power in the shopping landscape today. I just believe that's true. So true story, literally a couple nights ago, my husband asked me like, what do you want for Mother's Day? And instead of, so I, the first thing I say to him was like, I want sweats. I'm sick of wearing leggings. <laughs> so like, he's looking at me like I have two heads. He's like, you really want yeah. sweatpants? I'm like, I really want sweatpants. So Look. he, just think about his journey. Literally, you know, he's, he's I'm wearing jeans, jeans, but you're you're right. Right. But you know, my point is that he didn't go, he didn't Google. He yeah. didn't say, hey, most comfortable sweatpants, you know, or Mother's Day, whatever. The first thing he did is to go on Instagram and look at the style influencers that he follows or female fashion influencers <laughs> and look at what sweats they're wearing. And uh-huh. so if my husband, who grew up in the generation that didn't have the Internet when they went to college, uh-huh. um, you know, and is you know older than me, like if he's doing that, like we have arrived like this world is really influencers drive purchasing decisions. They drive discovery and that is just fact. And it's happening for everyone. It happens for me. When I'm looking to buy something, what do I do? I ask friends, I ask family, I look at Instagram. A lot of discovery and decision-making is driven by influence, whether there's micros, macros, friends, family, they're all influencing tastemakers or influencing your purchasing decisions. So I believe they have a tremendous amount of power. And I genuinely believe that as a brand, you need to figure out how to harness and develop and build that power. And so for me, I feel having authentic, genuine, real relationships with influencers is the best strategy to go. So from day one, when we launched our brand, we reached out to friends, family, people that we knew, celebrities that I like randomly knew a manager and was like, can I send you product? Like we blood, sweat, and tears person by person reached out, sent product, developed relationships, got to know people, had coffees. We never had big parties. We never had events. We've never done it. We've never done anything splash. This was literally investing person by person in relationships that were authentic and real. And as we built and grew the brand, they supported us. And I can't say enough that I feel like I, I don't know if we, grew as fast as we could on the influencer side. I probably, if we threw money at it, we would have had a different experience, but we didn't. We just build relationships. And it's it's been a long haul, yeah. but you've seen the growth. I mean, you see the EMV growth, we see the EMV growth, and it's really about developing relationships and, and also giving them the opportunity to put the product in their hand, have the experience, talk about it, and then to use their experience, repurpose that user-generated content to be the narrative and the story of our brand. We do it more than a lot of other brands because it is the basis of who we are and what we are as a brand. Absolutely, right? And I think a few things there. One, you know, people really underestimate how things build on each other, build on top of each other, right? So you form these relationships with people and instead of it being kind of a one-off activity, right? That's somebody who's going to support you for the next five years, 10 years, 15 years. And, you know, each one of those relationships that you went over almost operates like an annuity, right? It's an investment. Yeah, micros become macros. Yeah. Yeah. Micros become macros and macros become out of the universe. And it's like, 
I've known people since they had 10,000 followers and five years later, they've got hundreds of thousands of followers. And, you know, investing yeah. in that relationship early on has been great. And we've always, you know, we've gifted product to people who've had a thousand followers. And I know a lot of brands are like, oh, well, they have no following. Why are you giving them something free? And it costs you so much money. That was never the conversation. We want people yep. who support our brand to talk about our brand. And it doesn't matter how many followers you have. And it's not necessarily about your photography or your engagement. It's about building authentic connections with people who actually are connected to the brand and care about the brand. So every day in our inbox, we get tons of people asking us for free stuff. I'm sure every other brand founder does too. And we, we don't have a PR list. We are not you know, posting on Instagram saying, hey, win an opportunity to be on our PR list. There's no PR list at Wander Beauty. We look at every launch, we craft a campaign and um, send outs around that launch, what makes sense for it, what right relationships make sense for it. And we really gift organically and develop content on a case-by-case -case basis, on a launch-by-launch -launch basis. We really look at that granularly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of, you said, if you look at the data on our side, brands that do well with the little guys tend to perform better in the future, right? So they tend to grow faster. Um, and that's because, you know, one, I think it's a more authentic approach. Two, the little guys grow into big guys. So out of every 200 micro-influencers, about one of them will grow to have over a million fans within the next Which few years. Crazy. Yeah. And then a bunch and of it's people amazing. in between, right? People with 50,000, 100,000, 200,000. And we want to support them in that journey and always be there for them. And, you know, we are not putting money at the problem. And I know a lot of brands do it and yeah. they do it successfully and they throw the big parties and they have the big launch, they have the big macros and it becomes transactional. And I don't believe yeah. that long-term that's the kind of brand we're building. I'm not passing judgment on the other people who are doing it. It may work for them beautifully and more power to them. For the brand that we are building that is so focused on community, it feels authentic and real for us to build authentic and real relationships with influencers. People who want to talk about us, talk about us. It is not transactional. Totally. Are you on your end? Do you pay attention to any other brands? Like, are there any other brands that you look at and you go, Hey, they're really killing it. Like let's, let's try to learn from them or really, I mean, at the same time, I think you've having invested in 60 plus companies and founded a bunch yourself, maybe you have enough examples at this point. It's just about going like you got to, I know yeah, what the plan is and is. I'm just going to focus you know, on it's our so company. Interesting. A lot of founders spend a lot of time looking at the competition. And I will tell yeah. you one thing just about me as a person. So when I swam as a kid and I now still swim, although now I'm um, staying out on Long Island, when I'm in the city, actually, uh, we have a pool and I always was the swimmer who was looking straight ahead. So I'm so focused on my personal best. How far can I take this yeah. brand, this business? How can this team of lean and mighty, amazing, hardworking, talented people drive this business forward? I'm never looking right and looking right left because I feel like people who are looking right and looking left, those swimmers that are always looking on either side, they're not focused on getting ahead and they're not focused. They're focusing so much on the competition and winning and beating. And that's not who I am as an entrepreneur. I'm not about winning or beating or outperforming anyone else. I'm only trying to achieve my personal best. And so we set our mm -hmm. own goals. We set our own objectives and initiatives. And our team is a very much involved in setting their own goals. And we try and achieve those goals. And what the competition is doing or not doing, we definitely look at it. We look at it for inspiration. And we think there's a lot of great beauty brands that are doing some really wonderful things. And we admire and appreciate all that. But we're very focused on achieving our own goals that we've set ourselves. Totally. And I think that's absolutely the right way to go. At the same time, I know that I personally am just ultra competitive. So I just, I love competition and I love like visualizing an enemy and like, not an enemy, I guess I'm using the language anyways, but, um, but I have to make sure that that doesn't bleed into the rest of the team, right? Like I don't want that to be something I don't, like I want people to be focused yeah. on our customers, our problem, 100%. our business. But uh, I'm growing I and building authentically, not in a race. <laughs> like entrepreneurship is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so Absolutely. we have built this business brick by brick, brick by brick, influencer by influencer, multitasker by multitasker, building one hero, building, winning one Allure Best of Beauty Award, then winning five Allure Best of Beauty Awards. 
innovation, focus on innovating in the formula, innovating the ingredients, innovating the delivery system, like create value for the consumer. If you create value for them, yeah. they will come back. Our brand was never marketing hype. It was never billboards. It was never pouring money into telling people that they needed something. Because if you do that, people buy it once, but then they don't come back. And so I want to build an ageless, timeless brand that is here forever, that creates value in a woman's life. And every day she reaches for our clean beauty essentials and feels confidence and they make her feel more beautiful and more confident. And that's what I want for her. And that's what I want for us. Totally. So have you, I mean, as you're growing the brand, obviously you're experimenting, right? Trying different things. Nonstop. Um, <laughs> Are there any marketing tactics that you try, digital or not, that just you're like, well, that didn't work out? Um, any learnings that you can uh, help people avoid? I think that we've tested every channel you could imagine. And I really believe that when you supplement um, paid spend against organic development, then you actually succeed the best. So we have an organic presence on Instagram, an organic presence on Facebook, and that's when we spend money and amplify that presence and we see real results. Um, we have a lot of people who are getting direct mail pieces from us that we find that that channel still works for us. And it doesn't work for a lot of brands mm -hmm. because their customer base isn't opening mail. And so we have a very interesting demographic, right? We sell to women who are kind of 25 to 54 and complete equal segments across all of those age groups. So the sub age groups of hmm. 25 to 34, 35 to 44, 45 to 54, we sell literally equal across 25 to 54 year olds. And it's fascinating because different things Weird. resonate with different people. And I love that. I love that I don't age out of my, no one ages out of Wander Beauty. It's not too young or too old for you. And so that creates a big opportunity for us to grow and be global. And so we have tested cable, streaming, remnant cable, podcast, serious radio, regular radio. And some of it's worked <laughs> and some of it hasn't worked. But the reality is we're always testing, always be learning. Um, and I love that we have a data dashboard of all of our metrics and we look at them very carefully. And we, in the environment of COVID, have thought a lot about spending. And one of the things that we're really focused on is selectively investing in growth. So we are investing in growth. We are putting money to work. We are marketing. We are building our base and growing despite the environment around us where I know a lot of people are not growing because of store closures and whatnot, but we're growing. And we're focused on yep. investing in areas that are going to help us grow. Totally. I So to go back, just because most of the people that are going to listen to this are going to be in the influencer marketing space, right? Um, how do you guys structure your team? Like, are you managing those relationships directly? Is Lindsay managing so them? Do you have a team? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, so I'm going to give you credit for this. I came to, to a five event <laughs> years yes. ago, okay? Yes. I mean, this is true. I'm, I'm, I'm not like blowing smoke. I'm, tell, I'm telling you the truth. at least one positive effect on somebody. <laughs> so you had an event. It was years ago, okay? It was okay. like at least two, three. I can't remember how long ago, but it was a long time ago. And it's when you first started doing events and you, you know, started telling us about how, you know, focus on the micros, they're going to grow, build the relationships. It's so important. And you're like, people are not investing enough in influencer marketing. People are so focused on print and they're focused on digital and Facebook ads and Instagram ads and YouTube campaigns and really focused on um, all of these other things. And really what they need to be doing is building relationship with influencers. And big brands have one influencer person in their influencer marketing department. And really they could do a lot better if they had three. And I left yep, your yep. talk and your conversation, and I had one person at that time who was focused on building influencers. And I actually remember this was like two, it was around two-ish years ago. And when okay, I, okay. Um, and now I remember when I went to that event and I heard you say that, and I said to myself, he's absolutely right. I feel like cool. my shopping behavior and my discovery behavior has changed as a consumer. I know my consumers are discovering and experiencing Wander Beauty and finding clean beauty essentials in a different way and cross category, across skin, hair, color, body, everything. And so I need to really tap into this opportunity. So we built our team. We now have a team of three and they cover cool. not just influencer marketing, but they also cover traditional press, influencer marketing, and they help with some partnerships. And investing in this was probably one of the best things that I ever did. And I really feel like it has helped build our following. It has built our growth. Um, we have, you know, 
a good size following for a brand that's young and new and hasn't raised a lot of money. It's you guys are doing grown great. organically mm-hmm. and it's just it's fascinating because we invest in those relationships. It was, it's really an individual thing. And so each person is developing relationships on our team. We don't have one person as a relationship manager. I am friends yeah. with a bunch of influencers and they're my real friends and I hang out with them and spend time with them and hear about what they're going through. And honestly in the COVID crisis, a lot of them are losing a lot of paid campaigns and it's tragic. And so, you know, I'm really deeply connected with some influencers that are, you know, a part of our brand and have become real friends for me. Lindsay has a lot of her relationships. And then our other three team members, in addition, also have their own relationships. Some before they came to work at Wander, some after, you know, they they built them through the Wander um, connection. So it's really been a combination of all hands on deck. We're all involved in it. We have one person leading strategy and we're all kind of coming at it together as a team, as we do everything else, right? It's collaborative decision-making in in our environment. Of course, yeah, that's, uh, I'm really glad to hear that my, uh, that that connected with you, that's really cool. We, uh, you know, we try to, obviously we're a software company at the end of the day, but I think we've gotten, we've had a lot of success by, through you know, just trying to look at the data and figuring out what works, right? And of course, it's not always going to be perfect, but um, you know, I think we've had a good, yeah. a good impact on people generally. So I recently invested in a beauty brand, um, and one of the first things I told them, she's like, "Oh, you know, well, influencers were sending out this many packages." And I was like, "That's a lot of packages." So I told her, "I'm like, how are you measuring this? Like, you're sending so much product out. You're a young brand," and I was like, "You can't just th- send things out into the universe, like." In Tribe, we are tracking every single campaign, whether it's, you know, a mention in stories or anything like data gives you the best opportunity to make great decisions. It's you need to see everything laid out for you so you can know where to invest and where to spend and where you will grow. And so I feel like having data, having a tool, it's not just about having influence relationships and sending product. You have to measure it. And so... With Tribe, we're really measuring this and we're able to make better decisions based on the measurement capabilities that we have for Tribe. So I'm a little plug for that. you, but it's organic. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm being I appreciate it. And, 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 honest. and I'll be honest, it, it took us a while to get there. It took us a while to actually you know, get involved. But once we did, we really saw the tremendous value of it and I've recommended it to many other people. So I think that influencer marketing is critical for anyone in any brand this day and age who's trying to connect with consumers directly. And I genuinely believe that there's no marketing without measurement. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, you have to have some kind of feedback loop there. Like you can't just throw money into a black pit without knowing whether it's working or not. So hopefully we're, we're providing a little bit of that. Okay. So I want to be respectful of your time. We're kind of coming up on our time limit here, but I did have a couple fun questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me get to them because I don't remember them off the top of my head. Okay, so what is the first business you're going to visit post-COVID? So this could be a restaurant. This could be oh a nail salon. This could be – what is the first business you are going to patronize? I don't think I'm going to have a choice in this. I think my husband's going to make us go out to dinner. I don't think this uh... is going to be – I'm going to stay home and want to keep cooking. And he's going to be like, I've eaten your cooking for God knows how many months. Get me the hell out of here. So <laughs> the first establishment we are going to visit is going to be a restaurant. Any restaurant in particular? Do you guys have like a favorite? Um, I would love to go to Maya and my neighborhood and have a margarita personally. <laughs> knowing my husband, it's going to be some fancy meals. So, oh, um, so he's okay, going to so- be the decision maker on that one. So one, what's your favorite book and why? that you'd recommend to people? Um, so now I'm going to give, totally screw up the, the title because I'm going to have to send you the link because I had this one book that really informed my decision-making and like made me think differently. It's something along the lines oh. of like everything I learned about business I learned at the dinner table because it really resonates with oh. me. I feel like everything in my life has not been a business book. It's not one of those like founder dilemma, this book, that book, like those entrepreneur books, like it's great. Like, and if you're really like hardcore into them, that's amazing. But I actually feel like everything I've learned in my life has been actually from non-traditional ways and thinking about things in non-traditional ways and basic manners of how to treat people and how to build and how to grow and to build empathy and sympathy with people is actually very important in building and growing a business. And so um, it's by Jeffrey Fox. I'm going to have to get you the title, but it's something along like lessons I learned or top lessons I learned. I learned at like the dinner table or something. 
Well, I'm sure people can Google it and figure it out. <laughs> Sounds close enough. I, uh, yeah, I'm, my team makes fun of me all the time. I've read all of the business books, like every oh, one Oh, you're going to have to send me your recommendations. I <laughs> have, I've got a long I list. Yes, I have a book on my bedside that someone from my team actually gifted to me. It's called Range, and it's why generalists outperform specialists. And I just started reading it. I actually think it's really interesting. And also Carter Cast wrote a book, which I can't think of the name, that I read recently that I really, really liked. And it was all about actually failure and, you know, different types of leaders and, uh, and what you learn from it. Very cool. I uh, actually, we're getting way too deep on this topic. I just like talk, I don't know. But the thing I did recently is like for fiction books, my, so with, you know, nonfiction books, I would do a bunch of research, right? I'm like, what's the best book on customer success or this, that, and the other. I do all yeah. this research and I find really good books. And then, you know, with fiction. I want to be added to that reading list. Can you email me all your good <laughs> I will, books? I, will, I, I, will. Yeah, I yeah, also yeah. love to gift people books. I love to gift people books that I like. Then I'm like, feel like I'm passing it along. Absolutely. I will definitely send that along. And I think, uh, but what's funny is for me with fiction, I didn't have the same approach, right? I just, you know, somebody would hand me a book and I'd start reading it. And it's just like, I don't know. I just wasn't, you know, I was having a hard time balancing out my like fiction, nonfiction reading. And so I actually did more of the Yelp things. So I went to like Goodreads. I'm like, let's find the best book. Like what is the best reviewed book in like this category? And Please like tell me one of them- was. So one of them was this book called The Martian, um, which uh, it is, so they made it into a movie and I almost didn't read it because I've seen the movie. It's like a Matt Damon movie, um, but it's about, um, you know, a guy who gets left on Mars and then he has to survive for a really long time. And it's like, you know, they got on this mission, he gets left because of a variety of things. And then he has to figure out how to like grow his own plants and do all this stuff. And it's just incredibly well-researched. It's like super interesting. You learn a lot and it's just really well-written. And uh, so I've done that with a few different books. And uh, yeah, and the other one I read was an Agatha Christie novel, which I don't know why I'm reading an Agatha Christie novel. I know, I know. And it, you'll have to check it out. I learned a fun fact about it. It's called, so it's called And Then There Was None, right? This again, oh, I'm wow. just, I'm not being... Intriguing title. Yeah. Well, so the title's interesting. So it used to be called The Ten Little Indians, which is obviously not like very culturally sensitive or appropriate but it actually had an even worse name before that that i'll let people google if they're interested um so that's but it's actually a really good book anyways okay let's keep going okay uh so let's do this last one if you could create one product today that isn't on your roadmap that you know Lindsay would throw a fit if you even mentioned it because i have plenty of these things on my side is there anything that you really want to do? Or maybe it's a company you really want to create that you can't create right now. Um, any company or product that you're like, man, if I had the time, this would be it. So if it was up to me, I would literally launch a new beauty brand every three months because I have so many <laughs> ideas in the beauty space and I love beauty and I'm such a voracious consumer of beauty that I would literally create a brand for like kids and I would create a brand for babies and I would create a brand for men. So my husband would stop, you know, stealing my layover serum, which is literally like I put this in the bathroom and he uses it. And I'm like, I just give it up and I've gotten him. It was, I've got him in his own layover serum and his own dive in moisturizer because he just takes them all the time. So I'm just like, yeah, yeah, here's yeah. your supply. So I would, I think there's a big opportunity in men's. I think men's skincare and grooming is just reaching a very early place now in the US. And I've seen in Korea and Asia, an incredible explosion of opportunity and how much men actually take care of their skin in Asia is completely mm-hmm. different than what we're seeing in the US. So I think there's a big opportunity to create many different offshoots. But you know, one of the best things about being an entrepreneur and really focusing on building a business is to focus. What do you do? You yep. have to focus, focus, focus. You have to do few things and do them well. And so we are laser focused on multitasking beauty essentials and it's working for us. It's working for us. People are buying it. We are connecting. We launched color. We were successful in that. We launched skin. We've been successful in skin. Now we're seeing skin outpace color um, and we've launched hair and body. So we're really able to translate that success cross category, which everybody told me we'd never be able to do. So when we launched our brand, everyone told us you will net you do one category and that was never the vision of the brand the vision of the brand was wander beauty it was that you were going Mm -hmm. to take us with you wherever you wander and you were going to reach for our clean beauty multitasking essentials everywhere you went and you're going to reach for them every day and no one understood us when we said this they're like no 
skin brands get merchandise and skin color gets merchandise and color and hair goes here. I was like, you don't get it. Like I formulated skin. Like, and uh, the modern woman, why do I, am I, an, why am I an Amazon prime shopper? And why is you, why are you an Amazon prime shopper? Because you have two kids and when you need glue and ballet slippers and scissors and 200 other things, you go to one place and you get them. And so yeah. for my beauty essentials, I don't want to go to four different websites to get what I need for my skin, my hair and my cosmetics. I want to go to one place where I can get it all and I can trust it. And I can know it, it all has the ethos of having skin loving ingredients. Treat your hair like your skin, treat your body like your skin, treat your face like your skin. And so Always having that skin-loving, clean beauty ingredient story first and performance top of mind, we knew consumers would trust us cross-category, and, and people didn't believe us. It's like when we launched our baggage claim gold eye mask, and that was our first foray into skin, people told us we would never sell it. We sold 5 million packets of this the first year that we launched it. And so nice. trust your gut and do what you got to yeah. do. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I think that's going to be it. But thanks so much for joining, Divya. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was so um, good to chat with you. And I want that book list. You're not getting off the hook without giving it to me. (laughs) Absolutely. I will send it along. And I know everybody learned a lot today. So appreciate it. Um, And yeah, thanks again. Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at TribeDynamics.com. TribeDynamics.com.